to it. You ready for the word today? Did you come to church with faith today? Yeah, Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 18. This is where we're gonna camp out today. It says this, that Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me. You ever been there with God before? You said. Look, you've told me. Lead this people up. So I want you to see right here that there's this, there's this call that God had on Moses. He said, listen, I need you to lead this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I might find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people, right? Moses is going like, these ain't my people. These are your people. You told me to lead them. And he replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Verse 15, if your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't Make us leave here. Man, what a statement. Moses is saying to God, I want, you to, I want you to notice the relational conversation that's taking place here. This is not Moses approaching God as some distant character, right? Some ethereal concept. Moses is approaching God face to face. He's saying, listen, and he's having, he's having a pretty strong conversation with him. And he says, if your presence does not go, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us, unless you are the identifier on our lives? I and and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing that you have asked for, for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. And then I want you to hear this statement. Pointed, direct, impassioned with a degree of groaning, Moses says, please let me see your glory. Today, as we continue on in our series, Presence and Encounter, I want to speak to you from the subject, provided by presence. Provided by presence, as we look at what presence and encounter produces and provides to our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. It has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, right now, we don't need to ask for your presence to be here. Your presence is here. I pray that our hearts would be awakened to it, if not already, and that we would be aware that you are moving right now, even in this moment. So speak to us now. Our hearts are open. Our ears are listening. We need your voice, not Jason's voice. Thank you for your word. It is your word that brings freedom and truth to our life. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. I've got a 10-year-old boy. Going on 11, we have to say it now, babe, because it's like a week away. And uh, he's become an all boy, and it's, and it's a lot of fun. But I told this story to, uh, to our team that was uh, doing advance with this about a week ago. So if you have heard this story, I, I apologize, but it, it bears repeating for the sake of, of the journey that we're going to go on today uh, together. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I was having a hard time sleeping. I had my legs were going crazy. Anybody else have that moment? Like you just they, you can't slow down. And I can't take melatonin. Um, because it makes my legs speed up even more for some reason. So I'm sitting in bed and I'm like, I want to go to sleep and my mind's going and my legs are going. And Erica, it was one of those nights where she had finally fallen asleep and her and I seem to trade, trade spaces when it comes to sleep. Either I'm sleeping hard and she's awake or vice versa. But that night she was out. I didn't want to wake her. So I decided I'm going to get up. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to go sleep somewhere else in the house. And so I got up out of the bedroom and, and I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to go sleep in the couch. But I was like, nah, that's only where you go when you're in trouble. And so... Um, I needed to look for another place, which I'm not like in trouble all the time sometimes, but, um, but uh, so 
I decided I'm going to go downstairs in my basement because that's where it's like 30 degrees colder in the house. Come on, somebody. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? We keep it at 68. Downstairs, it's 42. So it's, it's awesome. It's, it promotes great sleep. And so I went downstairs and I decided we have a couch downstairs as well. And I was like, I'm not going to sleep in there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get in my son's bed. He inherited a queen size bed from our guest bedroom when he took over his own bedroom. I was like, that guy's got all the space in the world. Plus he like sleeps in the crack of the wall in the bed. So I was like, pretty much I got the whole bed game on. So walked into his room and I hopped into bed with him. I covered up and, and sure enough, like got in the bed with him and I went out, slept hard that night. Got up the next morning. It was a Saturday night, Sunday morning. I'm getting ready for church and justice comes up to do his normal routine, which is take the dog out. And he gets to the back door with the dog and he looks over at me and he says, hey dad, he's got this kind of like, like weird smile on his face. Hey dad. I was like, what's up son? He's like, were you in my bed last night? I was like, no, what are you talking about? I was in your bed. I said, yeah, I was in your bed last night. I slept, I slept in bed with you last night. He's like, and he looks at me and he goes, cool. <laughs> then went on with his business. Next day, same routine. We get up. He comes running to me again. He stands next to me awkwardly because that's his age. And he looks at me. Hey, dad. I was like, what's up, dude? He's like, were you in bed with me last night? Only this time he knew I wasn't. No, I slept, like I slept in my own bed last night. And he's like, oh, well, when you slept in the bed with me, that was awesome. And he walked away. I was like, okay, end of conversation, okay. <laughs> I tell you that story because I want, you to, I want you to understand something that is very important and very powerful to your life and my life. Presence provides for and enriches our lives. Presence. Encounter. It changes everything. This is why relationships are so important in our lives. But not just the type of relationships where we hang out and, and play games and, and, and do fun things. I'm talking about the type of relationships that are deeply rooted in transparency, vulnerability, challenge, accountability. Trust, those are the trademarks of, of deep relationships. These would be the type of relationships that one would probably define as intimate, a term for many of us that gets squirrely on the inside, right? Even for some of us right now, if I say the word intimate, our mind goes in one direction. That's not what I'm talking about, right? There are other facets of intimacy. But for a lot of us, because we've, we've engaged in broken intimacy, we have one perspective on it rather than even the intimacy that I had with my son the other night just simply being in presence and encounter. I call these type of relationships communion-based relationships. Not relationships that are bread and wine. That's not what I'm talking about when communion, all right? Some of you are like, what, do we just like, have bread and wine all the time? Some of you are like, sign me up. <laughs> I like that relationship, Here's my definition. A communion-based relationship is a relationship where more than a meal is shared. It's where life and presence and encounter is shared. This is what we're talking about when we talk about presence and encounter with God. Presence is about walking with, with someone, or in this case, walking with God. I want you to hear some scriptures, important ones. Can we do a little deep dive today before we get into the practicalities of this? Genesis 5, 22 through 24 says this, and after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. That's what you do when you live for 300 years. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. You're bored. Enoch, here's what I want you to hear. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. <laughs> I love that part. 
I want that on my tombstone. He's no longer here. God took him. Like, that's what, <laughs> that's, that's what I want. Erica's going to make sure we write that down because that's happening, right? <laughs> Genesis 6 verse 9. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Watch this. Hear this. Noah walked with God. Exodus 33, verse 9, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord, here it is, would speak with Moses. These three instances, and many more throughout Scripture, highlight communion-based relationship. What it looks like to walk. Come on, we shout, walk. Come on, we shout, walk. To walk with God and others. This is what presence and encounter tangibly looks like in our lives. This is why presence and encounter enriches our lives. It it provides in our lives, not just at a feelings-based level, but at an even greater level, both personally and spiritually. Here's what I want us to hear. God's active presence in our life, it forms us. It brings us to deeper places that are not formed through education, but rather interaction. Did you hear that today? See, many of us, there's multiple types of people in this room right now. There's those of us who have been walking with God for a little while, right? Chris and Courtney, they've been walking with God for a while, walking with God. I love these guys. But there's others of us in here that maybe you came for the first time today. Somebody invited you, they tricked you, they duped you, they said they were going to Denny's and you showed up to the well, right? You're like, where are my moons over my hammy, right? Like, so, some of you know what I'm talking about. No one knows moons over my hammy? You do? It's so good. <laughs> so there's those of us that are here today and we have no, really no concept with, uh, of God and who God is and we're trying to figure this thing out. But here's what I'd like to say to those of us who've been walking with God for a while. I hear this a lot. I just want to go deeper. I want to know God more. And the interesting thing is, is that for many of us who, who say that, the next step is to educate ourselves about God. Can I just tell you that you knowing more Greek and more Hebrew doesn't help you know God more? Let me illustrate it this way. My wife is beautiful. (laughs) She's she's gorgeous. I love my wife, right? There's two different types of relationship with her. I can have a knowledge-based relationship based upon the assessment of certain facts by asking her this question, Erica, what color are your eyes? And she would say, my eyes are blue. She's telling me that is a knowledge-based relationship. That's not presence and encounter, right? The other type of relationship I can have with her is looking in her eyes and figuring out that they're blue. That's how you know somebody. You see the difference? Many of us are trying to figure out God by asking him questions about himself. I wanna study this and find this out and figure this out instead of actually gazing into the eyes of God. Like Moses would say, let me see your glory. Oh, it's important that I educate myself about here for sure, but there is something that is intangible. There's something that is learned by way of proximity. There's something that's learned when we embrace. There's something that's learned when we talk with each other. There's something that's learned when we're holding hands with each other. It's presence and encounter. That's what it means when they walked with God. See, the night I slept in my son's bed, I was teaching him more than I could ever teach him with my words. I taught him through presence and encounter that he was safe with me. I taught him through presence and encounter what it looks like to be in relationship with a father who loves him. Come on, these are important things. Can we, can we talk real today? 
I taught him that he can be vulnerable with me. That his dad cares about him. And I didn't have to tell him with words. I told him with presence and encounter. And you know this to be true because some of us are sitting in this room right now because we've been told other things by presence and encounter. We've been told that we're not valued. We've been told that there's not much worth to us as we were abused by people. And it didn't have to be through words. Come on. Do you see what I'm talking about? All of us know inherently what presence and encounter is is because we've all experienced it to one degree or another. And the truth is that when we get to step into spaces like this, sacred moments and sanctuaries, we can experience the presence of God. And it's in the presence of God where we actually find healing that broke us when the presence of people damaged us. So this relationship with God, it's more than just this ethereal concept that we learn as we educate ourselves. No, we learn about him as we interact with him. So if God's presence provides for and enriches our lives, the question is, what does that look like? How, what? That's what I wanna focus the remainder of our time on today as we look at Exodus 33, 12 through 16 to help us with the answer. The Bible tells us the answer to the question that we're asking. Come on, somebody. So look at a couple areas that are, that are provided for and enriched through presence and encounter in our lives. I need your help today, every shot number one. Here's the first truth that we need to know. His presence fits us for the journey of life. His presence fits us for the journey of life. Exodus 33, 12 through 14, Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up. This is the command. Are you tracking with me? God says to Moses, do this. And Moses then engages on the journey of doing what it is that God wanted him to do. Let my people go. Like that's, <laughs> right? So he's gonna lead all these, all these people. And here's the thing that we need to understand today is that God will always equip you for the command that he's put on you. He fits you. His presence fits us for the journey of Life. In other words, his presence gives us everything that we need. We just have to be willing to turn towards him. Come on, somebody. Be willing to turn towards him. Um, I took science once. Once. <laughs> so to all the science people in here, with this term that I'm about to say, if I don't say it right, you can email Karen at the well, SLC.com. <laughs> There, there's this, <laughs> I feel like there's a double meaning to that now that I'm saying it. Yeah. No, okay. I'm not going to stop there. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, wow. That went really deep with the joke. For those of you who don't know, Karen's my assistant. So, um. Her, her real name is Karen. Like, that's her real name. <laughs> That joke is so much better in this service. I love it. Come on. Oh. <laughs> My wife's now just getting it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so it's science class. <laughs> Heliotropism is the term that you learn in science class. 
Heliotropism is this, is when flowers bend and actually reach in the direction of the sun. This would include flowers like sunflowers and buttercups and poppies. The bending of the flower favors its ability to receive from the sun what it's needing to be sustained to promote health, growth, and strengthening. Heliotropism. In his book, Finding Our Way Again, writer and author Brian McLaren talks about a sort of heliotropism that he calls theliotropism, which he would define as this, a turning toward God's light. So what he's suggesting is that like buttercups and and, and poppies and sunflowers, there is something that we gain from God when we turn to him when we lean towards him, when we reach in the direction of his presence, I receive everything that I need, the strength, the vitality, the hope, the joy. Come on, somebody. When I reach towards God, but it requires a turning. It requires a a reaching. You know, when we worship in these moments, we're not just singing songs. (laughs) I know we talk a lot about that, but that these, are, these are liturgical realities that are happening. Did you know that the entire service that you stepped in today into is a, it's a liturgical exercise? It's sacred. We're going to talk about this in the next series, but I really actually want to jump on this for just a second. You walked in here and you were greeted by people. It's a relationship. The community of believers. You stepped into a liturgical moment. When we, when we walked in here you worshiped with hands lifted. We're reaching towards God in worship. We are giving glory and honor. Right now we are having a public reading of scripture, the declaration of God's word. We've had moments of silence, moments of sacrificial giving. This is actually liturgical system and, and, and liturgical realities. Why? The whole thing is designed to hopefully by the end of this have us reaching towards God as we reach back out into the world that he's commanded us to. That's the beauty of it. Presence and encounter is where it takes place. See, the presence of God fits us with the necessary strength, vitality, and resource, the power necessary for the journey of life and faith. How many of you agree with me? Life's hard at times, though. That's why we need it. It's a journey that, if we're honest, is difficult and taxing at best. But we have to remember that Moses is speaking to God as he finds himself in a wilderness journey. He's on a journey that God had called him to that he didn't really want to be on. Leading an estimated amount of people, most scholars would agree with, is around 2 to 2.5 million people. Could you imagine that leadership job? Moses, I need you to go before Pharaoh. I need you to yell at him for a little bit. And tell him that you're taking all these people. How many? Oh, two, 2.5 million. <laughs> <laughs> small group little caravan and we know that it, it reaches this amount listen to Exodus 12 37 through 38 the Israelites traveled from Ramses to Suckcloth about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot that's men besides their families the Bible says right there and then a mixed crowd that's what's funny to me then a mixed crowd just a bunch of other people who were like well I want to go <laughs> <laughs> along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. That's important for us to know, because you had the people he was leading, all the people who wanted to jump on the train, and then just a constant sound of murr, just like with him. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know, that's a crazy journey right there. 
That's insane. And we know Moses didn't want to do it. I know we like to like fluff him up and make all these big like, spirit, like spiritual leaders of our faith so awesome. He literally tells God, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Exodus, I'll prove it to you. Just work with me, the Bible. But Moses replied to the Lord, this is after, or after God's kind of going here, like this is what I want you to do. Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently. So we're very clear on the time span here. <laughs> or since you have speaking to your servant. This is what's awesome. Moses is like, not then, not in the future, not even now with you talking to me, am I eloquent? Because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, this is what I love, God is savage. Who placed a mouth on humans? This is how we need to look at the Bible, okay? This is important. Who placed a mouth, like, <laughs> who put that mouth on your face? That's what God said to him. Some of you need to hashtag that. God put it here. <laughs> Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, I want, now go! <laughs> Exclamation point. This is how you have to read the Bible. This is how we look at it. You gotta get all these inflections. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, because he's so brilliant, please, Lord, send someone else. <laughs> That's an awesome story. Even after all that, the God of the universe is talking to him. I'm going to be with you, Moses. It's going to be fine. No, send someone else. <laughs> That's how much Moses didn't want to go. Come on, anybody ever been there before? <laughs> You're like, God, like, do you really know who I am? And he's like, yes, but still I want you to go. Come on, have you ever thought to yourself, I don't have what it takes to do this? <laughs> have you ever thought to yourself, I'm going to be seen as a fraud? if they really know that I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Like I've sat at tables before where I'm like, we're having this meeting and all this information is going. And in my head I'm going, they have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, our church received award, an award from the, from the governor of Utah, um, Herbert, before he exited office. And uh, we got invited up, I got invited up to the, to the um, it's called the Capitol. And so, um, <laughs> trying, to, trying to figure out what it is. So it was like, we got awarded for the way that we've been handling the, the coronavirus and everything. I sat on a viral uh, task force. Uh, I don't know why. Once again, that was one of those tables. I'm like, I have no idea. What are you talking about? I don't know what I'm doing. So I sat on this thing. And uh, so we got invited up and, and he gave us an award. And I remember standing there with the governor and he's got an award in the hand and, and, and we're shaking and we're doing the photo op and everything like that. And I kid you not, you would think that you're like just standing there excited for the moment. I'm in my mind going, what am I doing here right now? Why am I even standing here? I can barely say heliotropism, let alone a virus task force. If you have, like I have, thought to yourself, this is not possible. Then you wouldn't be alone. For the hallways of history are littered with those who have stepped out to do great things, all while not feeling like they were capable of doing so. This is why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses one through three would write this, if this doesn't encourage you today. Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Why? Because there's a bunch of people who have gone before us and they've done it even when they didn't think they can do it. 
Come on, anybody thankful for a God who fits you for the journey of life and faith? See, the common thread that unites all of these people is not their skill or talent, pedigree or personality. What unites each great man and woman of faith that has gone before us is the presence of God needed to do the thing which they'd been called to do. C.S. Lewis sums it up the best in his, in his book, The Magician's Nephew, when he says this. He didn't know how it was to be done, but he felt quite sure now that he would be able to do it. The lion drew a deep breath, stooped its head even lower, and gave him a lion's kiss. And at once, Diggory felt that new strength and courage had gone into him. It's presence and encounter. To feel the lion's kiss to be infused with a power and an ability that's so much greater than our natural ability. Come on, somebody. Anybody thankful for Jesus this afternoon? Come on. Here's the second thing, number two. Have a shout, number two? All right, his presence provides affirmation of identity. This is important, affirmation of identity. Exodus 33, 16 through 17. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and check this out, I know you by name. See, I believe that one of the greatest issues that we are facing today as a generation is an identity issue. And to be frank, it's an identity crisis. In his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, David G. Benner writes this, in order for our knowing of God's love to be truly transformational, it it must become the basis of our identity. Our identity is who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within, who we say I am. An identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, oh, please hear this today, church, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. In other words, when you think about yourself, what do you think? Do you think of a person who is deeply loved by God, or do you think of a person that is full of deficiencies? What do you think about right now when I ask you to think about yourself? Does it depress you? Does it scare you? Does it make you want to step back? Are you insecure about it? Are you fearful? Do you look at yourself in a demeaning way? Is your self-esteem low? This is what David is saying right here in this book. He's saying, listen, our identities must be the product. The eye of my life must be the product of his view on me. The problem is that it's not. Come on, how many of us have listened to what others have said about us? A truly grounded concept of self that is produced and authored by God because he named us before time. He told me who I am. The truth is that most of our identities are formed by broken pieces, half-truths, and slanted systems. Sin, shame, and failed humanity account for much of our personal formation. For many of us, we've tried to construct this idea of self from a pool of unrelated and disfigured puzzle pieces. And we're trying to put this thing together called self. Some of us in here today are trying to figure out who am I? Oh, I've had some things set over my life. Anybody with me? I've had some, he's not smart enough. And because someone said I wasn't smart enough, I didn't think I was eloquent enough. I'm still not eloquent enough. Come on, he's not capable of this. He has this. He needs pills for this. 
He failed skipping. That's a true story. <laughs> it's on my report card, preschool. Ask my mom. <laughs> Holla at my mom. <laughs> if we're not careful, your eye can be produced by a bunch of people who don't see you. Versus my eye being produced by the I am. There's a difference. When we operate in life with a disjointed and abstract view of self, we tend to repeat the behaviors that wounded our identity in the first place. When we operate in life with an incomplete and fractured identity, we make choices and decisions that compromise our safety and security. We limit ourselves to an undervalued assessment of who we are and never really then receive what God so graciously has for us. We settle instead of ascending. We, we make do instead of building and growing. We stay rejected instead of being accepted. Where there is not a secure and rooted identity, we travel aimlessly and are overtaken by the winds of opinion, fear, oppression, shame, and abuse. Identity in God through presence and encounter is what causes us to stand secure in the hurricane of self-doubt, familial rejection, and societal isolation. When I know who I am in God, I stand. It's affirmation through presence and encounter. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Jesus comes to John to get baptized. And John's like, no, 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 there's no way I can baptize you, Jesus. John knew who he was. And Jesus is like, no, you're gonna baptize me. So, Okay. So he gets baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. Verse 16, watch this. this. The heaven suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. Watch this, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Affirmation came to Jesus before any amount of action ever happened. See, some of us act in order to be affirmed. Jesus was affirmed before anything. Could you imagine if Jesus had no identity as he went into his miraculous power moments? It would change the trajectory of everything. Before the affirmation, could you imagine if he's like strolling up on the whole water to wine thing? And he's like, wait till they see that they're gonna love me. This is gonna, this is gonna be awesome. I can't wait. I'm gonna get friends from this. When they get a load of this wine and a water thing, Instagram followers, bing. I'm gonna be a TikTok phenom. You see what I'm saying? Could you imagine? Jesus, why didn't you come get Lazarus? Why'd you wait so long? Why were you so delayed? Just dramatic entrance. I need you to know who I am. If I show up late, then you see me for who I am. Do you see how a small amount of affirmation changes the why behind what we do? Okay, I'm gonna say something that pastors don't say very much. You showing up to church today didn't make God love you anymore. You don't have to show up again. Like I hope that doesn't happen. 
because there's all kinds of benefits to this place. But just so you know, if you don't show up tomorrow and the next day and for years and years and years and you pursue your relationship with God, he's got you, he loves you. So you showing up here today didn't do anything for you. You giving doesn't do squat for you. Why did it get quiet in here all of a sudden? <laughs> Some of you are like, hey, don't put that in the box then. <laughs> he gave me permission. <laughs> you doing good things. You serving. See, the slightest bit of affirmation changes the why behind what you do. You could not read your Bible from now until you die, and it wouldn't change God's view on you. It just would make it so you don't know him as well. So what I'm, how I'm affirmed changes the why behind what I do. See what I'm saying? So if I had a complex in me that needed you to like me, I wouldn't stand up here and preach the truth that I need to preach. That's the difference between entertainment and shepherding. Come on, somebody. These are important realities because for many of us, we try to do things in order to get things from God. And the reason that we're frustrated is because we're not getting what we're wanting because he doesn't give according to what you do. He gives according to who he is, a father. So your identity as a son or a daughter and living out of that place, am I talking to anybody right now? Living out of that place, that's what changes the game on this faith journey. I don't have to live from a place of performing, but that's what we do. I'm watching all kinds of people run around performing for God. Look at me, look at me, look at me. He's like, I've been looking at you before you were born. What you're doing right now is not you. You're just performing. You're just dancing right now. I wonder if you could just be a son or a daughter. Am I helping anybody out today? See, we too often try to look away from ourselves rather than seeing how we are loved by God. Number three, last one. Every shot, number three. We're gonna land this plane. His presence assures us with intimate knowledge. Exodus 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, please, let me see your glory. Let me see your glory. Glory, what a statement, straight to the point. Let me see your, your glory. See, Moses wanted connection, he wanted intimacy, he wanted presence and encounter, and he knew that seeing the glory of God would bring intimate knowledge of the person, and then here it is, the power of God. See, biblically speaking, the term glory in this moment is in reference to the character and makeup of God. So when Moses said, let me see your glory, Moses wasn't saying, can I please see sparkle fairy dust? Come on. Because isn't that how we think of the term glory sometimes? Like, I don't know about you, but like when, when I hear the term glory, I think of like, like a goldish off yellow with some like sparkles in it. And let me see your glory. And you have to widen your eyes so everybody knows you're crazy. Let me see your glory. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. God's saying, let, Moses is saying, I want to know your character. I want to know who you, who you are. Because if I know who you are, God, understanding that you're on my team changes everything. See, some of us, we don't understand that we can walk out this journey of life and faith 
in a way that is actually successful and strong. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. Oh, it'll be hard. But we have to remember that God is on our team. And when I know his character and his nature, all of a sudden I can take one more step at overcoming my addiction. I can take one more step at reconciling my marriage. I can take one more step to healing the broken that's inside of me. It's understanding who he is. Oh, wouldn't you want an inside track? Don't any, any sports people in here? Where are my sports people at? Is it f- four of you? Okay. <laughs> Glad we're an exercising group. <laughs> sports people, love sports. Show, show of hands, okay? A few of you in here. If you ever played sports or watched sports, how many of you would love to go into the game knowing that you were going to win? It'd be pretty awesome. Like how many of you would agree with me that would change the way that you do things? I just got uh, done watching uh, The Last Dance, the documentary of Michael Jordan. I have the microphone so I can say this. He is arguably, and I win the argument, the best basketball player to ever live, okay? The rest of you, it's in the Bible. Jordan Ascalese, chapter one, verse 23, okay? Devon, help me out with that one. As I watched that documentary, Eric and I sat and watched that document, documentary. As we watched that documentary, there was, this, there was this air about the team as they were winning championships because they knew who was on their team. When Jordan was in the locker room, they felt invincible. They would, they would walk out on that court knowing who they were facing and it didn't matter who they were facing. Why? Because Michael Jordan was on the team. So, for those guys, yeah, it got a little bit arrogant, got a little bit cocky for sure. And that's natural human beings. But I want us to get this picture. See, Moses is saying before he sets off into any more of leading this, this crazy ragtag group of 2.5 million people and some cows. He says, I need to know who is on my team. I need to know who is going with me. Because if you don't go, that's why he says this, if your glory doesn't go with us, do not make me leave from here. But I know if you're going with me, I know that if you are standing next to me, I'll keep on taking taking steps in the future. I'll keep on walking to what you have for me. Why? Because your glory is with me. Your presence is with me. Your heart is with me. Come on, somebody. It's presence and encounter. I know who's on my team. And it's in that spot that I know that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And if God be for me, what can come against me? If God be for me, who is strolling up in front of me? If God be for me, nothing can stop me from moving forward. No amount of dysfunction, no amount of brokenness. If God be Stay standing. Jesus, we love you. Come on, we worship you right now. Come on, can we just lift our voices to him in this moment? Can we thank him for his goodness in our life? Jesus, we love you. 
Come on, can we sing this song right now, guys? Can we just worship for just another second? Come on, this is holy ground.